What if you were born with a disease that you always knew would kill you? And then what if all of a sudden you were given a second chance? Well, that's exactly what happened to me. And it's the question that we explore on the new podcast series, Breathless from Snack Labs. Join me, Jeremy Saunders, for a series that explores what it means to live and die, to love and to lose, and what it's like to have your whole life turned upside down and the unexpected challenges that come with a life-saving drug. You can listen to Breathless now, wherever you get your podcasts. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hello, my loves. This week's guest is Dr. Juliana. Now, Dr. Juliana has a PhD in counseling education and has carved out a professional niche in the areas of relationships, sex, and sexuality. She's worked as a gender studies and counseling education professor, a clinical director of a university's counseling center, and ran a halfway house for women in addiction recovery. Dr. Juliana worked with male college athletes and fraternities about consent and sexual agency and sexual violence prevention. Today, Dr. Juliana runs a thriving private practice where she counsels and coaches couples and individuals in topics such as infertility, divorce, facing incarceration, life after losing a spouse, body image, transgender identity, and advanced sex ed for adults, amongst other topics. Dr. Juliana is a wealth of information. This was a fabulous conversation. I'm so excited to share it with you. I hope that you are all doing well. We love you. Take care out there. And we'll see you on the other side. Um, cool. Well, we're this is going to be really interesting. Uh, we're sitting down with Dr. Juliana. Banana. <laughs> um, 
Cool uh, name. Who, uh, yeah, PhD <laughs> in uh, in counseling education, um, and uh, someone who's carved out a you know a, a life of uh, in the in the areas of relationships and sex and sexuality. Um, uh, but there's a lot of really interesting stuff here. When you know when Bridie and I were kind of looking at the work that you do, uh, Juliana, I Juliana. Anna. Anna. <laughs> Anna, banana, banana, <laughs> Juliana. I keep, I keep giggling to myself about Doctor Banana, and I, <laughs> I'm totally distracted. Oh, no one's ever said that before. That's great. <laughs> um, New logo coming. That's it. Yeah, okay, Juliana, good. the banana doctor. Um, but uh, I, Juliana, I, I would love to hear. I'd love to hear from you, like a little bit of a backstory. Um, you know, how did you, what's your origin story? How did you end up doing the work that you do today? Yeah. So, um, I actually started off as a kindergarten teacher, which, uh, is an unlikely beginning uh, to turn into someone that works within sex ed a lot. Uh, um, but what I found was that I, I was always drawn to helping people and I was always curious about the, like, how people behave and why they make the choices that they do. And it just was a net. I love kids. So that it started there, but I soon realized that I only was there a year. I was like, Oh, this is not my jam. Mm. And uh, I was, I was more attuned to finding, I wanted to know how their families were doing. Uh, so I would go and eat dinner at their, at their homes. And I would find myself just asking like, what's going on and how are you all? And when I started describing the way I was showing up as a kindergarten teacher uh, to my aunt, who is a psychologist, she's like, yeah, I think you're meant to be in a different field. And uh, so I went back and, and started to get my master's and, and my master's program. I remember the first day I thought, oh, there are people who think like me and this is awesome. But what made me different than the other ones in my master's program was that I was always going towards the internships and the practicum experiences that had to do with sex. Mm. Um, I worked in the AIDS outreach program. I worked in a home where those who were uh, for girls in high school who were sexual abusers, as well as had been abused themselves. And no one else, like everyone else was buying through the same ones. And then I was going off <laughs> to my own place of just sex and sexuality. And I, and when I, when I looked at why was I doing this versus others, because I, I always thought there'd be a, a big crowd with me and was stunned. Even when the same thing happened when I was getting my doctorate too, I was always an outlier of interest in sexuality. And that surprised me because it was so natural for me. Mm. I went back and looked at my own life and thought it just was always a place where I had comfort, always a place where I had curiosity. And I always thought it was wrong that it was viewed at as so different. Right. Um, and so it just, it just became a natural place for me to, to be an ally um, for sexual things. And I wanted, I wanted to normalize the uh, pursuit and interest in sexuality. And when I got to that place, then I started seeing like, ah, all, cause I also was an actor. So I went to, L I was in LA for a while acting and that was also the study of human behavior. You just kind of did it differently. Totally. And I had a, yeah. I had a really profound moment in an acting class where We'd all been working together and my acting coach had us go in a circle and I was one of the first ones. And she's like, all right, so circle of trust. What is the, uh, what's the worst scene that I could give you that you'd be so terrified to do? And I was early in, I was like, oh, like a seduction scene. Then everyone else kind of started looking at me. They're like, uh, rape uh, and or like, you know, killing my child. And, and honestly, it just started growing. Like, <laughs> Juliana, like, what's wrong with you? That would be so <laughs> scary for you. So then uh, I was clearly, again, like a different, the different one. And so she's like, Julian, I want you to go seduce Price right now. I was like, oh, 
God, like I just know. So I did it and I felt, I knew how horrible I was. And she's like, Price, were you seduced? And he's like, not at all. <laughs> and, and so she oh, called up cringe. another girl. Yeah. Oh, it was terrible. I mean, it was, it was, just, it was truly terrible. And then she had another woman go in who was just hot as shit. And she just like had it going on. And she's like, what do you think about that one? He's like, I got a boner. And, <laughs> and, and then she looked at me and she's like, you gotta fix this shit, Julian. Like you gotta, you gotta figure out what this is all about. Mm. And, and she meant it in a, in a, in a loving way, but I, I sat with it and I actually felt tons of shame. And I thought like, what is yeah. this incongruence that I felt this comfort in the topic of sexuality as a study, as an endeavor for other people to be a container for other people, but I wasn't living it myself. And, and that's really where a lot of it coincided. And I, I then discovered the, the belief that sexuality is the essence of who you are. And so when that was a place that I was having a hard time showing up, I could perform it, but to embody it, uh, there was a disconnect. And mm. when I could, when I put those two together, so much of my life changed and I wanted to help others discover mm. that too. What, what was your, do you, do you recall like what your sex education was like or, or, you know, was there, was it, was it even existent? You know? Yes. Yes, it was. Um, so I had a couple of things. My parents gave me one book uh, and I so wish they had it still. I'm devastated that it's gone. I would want it for my archives. It was horrible. Uh, and then uh, my parents, my dad uh, was a radiologist. My mom was an ER nurse. So they saw the worst of everything. Uh, so I had a lot of sex education that was scary. That was right. um, from right. them, like, don't do this or the bad things are going to happen. And then in public school, uh, we had one health, one sex ed class a year. And here is my, my favorite story with this. And the favorite meaning like this was probably like the seed was planted at this point of, of doing the work that I do also. Um, I was very excited. I got put into the class that Miss Pam, the hot track um, coach was teaching because she looked like she knew sex. And I was <laughs> like, I can't wait to find out what, what Miss Pam is going to tell me about sex. And uh, she said in the beginning that uh, we could ask any question we wanted to. She hand out a piece of paper. But I have this thing that when my when I'm surprised by something or embarrassed, my face turns really red. So mm. I folded it a really special way. So I knew when she was going to ask my question, she was going through all the questions. And I had so many questions, I had no idea which one to choose. Uh, but I finally chose the one that I was going to ask. And when she got to mine, I couldn't wait to get at the answer. She looked at it and said, inappropriate. And she threw it, threw it in the trash can. Oh I my know. God. What do you remember what the question was? No. You, you, oh yeah. <laughs> yes. Cause it took me a lot. It was, I said, this is so funny. What's the deal with discharge? And, and that's what? not even appropriate. Oh I my God. <laughs> that is almost nothing to do with sex. I mean, I'm pretty even. sure that's I heard just... that, that setup in a Jerry Seinfeld special. <laughs> What's <laughs> the deal with discharge? Like, can't be that bad. He's a clean comic. Um, holy shit, that's so crazy. Yeah, yeah, and it took me oh, took me a couple of years to figure out the deal of discharge. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't even get my info. But what I I remember feeling like <laughs> disappointed. I did never find out what it was that day. Totally. But also like this is not okay. This mm. is not inappropriate. And 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 how interesting of the ones that she did choose. Uh, why, what was that choice and what was the difference? And it probably triggered something in her. It was just, you know, something in mm. her that felt too much or too close. Um, but yeah, that was my sex ed. Ugh. Yeah. Crushing. Yeah. yeah. I mean, and, yeah. and not, uh, not unique, you know, in the sense yeah. that a lot of us, a lot of, um, 
a lot of the past generations have come up with either a full lack of sexual education or uh, just a really poor sexual education based around shame, based around, you know, the, the negatives, not a, you know, next to no positivity when it comes to actually learning about, um, learning about sex and how we are sexual beings and how that can present uh, for us as we, as we grow and evolve. Uh, earlier mm-hmm. on, you, you mentioned that, you know, you were when you, I think it was when you were talking about the acting class, but that you're quite comfortable with the topic of sexuality. So, you know, hearing that story about your sex ed experience, I would have mm-hmm. assumed you would have just maybe gone on like most of us feeling like a lot of shame about that. So where, like, yeah. Where, what, what happened in there mm-hmm. or, is, or were you always comfortable with it? I, I definitely was, I think I just came into this world comfortable. Like my, I ran around naked all the time. My sister used to cry, like make her stop because I made her feel uncomfortable with running around naked as a, as a young child. So I think there's an innateness that we don't, I don't know where it came from, but I mm. also, and I was, I was going to say that the other part of my sex education is that I had a sexual Sherpa. Uh, as as one of my best childhood friends, Uh, we were the same age, and she lived out a lot of our sexual curiosity. And then she'd come back and tell me. And, and I I really attribute a lot of her sexual curiosity to my comfort level too, because she allowed me to have my own journey. I wasn't as active. I was curious. and, And I was, I thought a lot of it was very normal and interesting, but I wasn't necessarily acting on it. Or, or really, there was no one who would act on it with me, too. Uh, you know, there weren't many takers uh, I was interested in at the time. But, uh, but she had takers, and she was doing it. And so she'd come back. And so it felt very normalizing and very safe, too. Uh, we, talk, we talked about it as adults, too. And, and, and our, our adult selves looking at some of that wasn't um, like, we're like, wow, what were we doing at that young of an age? Kind of thinking of these things and being curious in those places. Um, but I, I really loved it that I had a relationship where I could ask things safely. I could be asked safely and that we didn't have to do the same thing that it, it, it was, we had our own agency, uh, what our path was. That was quite powerful. I did not have those words nor the philosophy to understand it at the time. But when I look back on it, I think that is what made me not feel as much shame, mm. um, because we, she and I didn't have shame about it. Oh, I love that. <laughs> One of the, um, when we were kind of reading through your, your bio before, like for prep for this conversation, one of the things that I thought was kind of interesting, mostly because we haven't really talked much about it with folks, um, but you, you do a lot of counseling and, and coaching with couples and individuals who, um, who go through, uh, you know, are going through a wide variety of things like uh, inf- infertility, divorce, um, life after losing a spouse, you know, body image. Um, and one thing that, that I, uh, that I haven't, we haven't really talked to anybody about is, um, is what work with, uh, couples going through divorce looks like. Um, and I can imagine that, like, I mean, my assumption is that more often than not, that's a really messy scenario for, you know, all parties involved. Um, but I'm curious about how often you you come across couples who are going through divorce, but it's like the most amicable, like peaceful sort of process. And 
is that common? Is that something you've seen before? Um, and, and if, if not, what are, what are some of the things that you think like lead to the, the opposite of that? Mm -hmm. Yes. So it is interesting when I first started working with couples, I, I wondered how that would feel like if it would just feel too intense or too ugly. Um, and one of the side effects of, of being a therapist is that sometimes you just see the hardest part of people and you are seeing them in, in the hardest time of their life, or you think everybody cheats or you think everyone lies or has secrets. Like you have to kind of work to, to have the self-selection that you see not be your whole worldview. Right. And, and I, I think a lot of us have the assumption that divorce is that way. Those are the headlining divorces, um, or you're always going to fall apart during a divorce. And there, there often is part of it. I mean, it's, I, I've seen the worst of divorces, um, but I think my specialty and I think the people who are drawn to work with me are the ones who are wanting to have a, a peaceful way that preserves the parts that are still sacred and meaningful. Yeah. Um, so I actually, the, the, I have early in my career, I had um, state mandated couples therapy. Now that's different. <laughs> they don't want to be together and their interest is to, you know, destroy each other. That's a very different animal than people who are choosing to have someone come into the completion of their marriage, the completion of their relationship and say, so how do we do this and not destroy what made us okay and, and beautiful at some point. Mm. And, and so I do, I, I do couples intensives with this. Those are my favorite ways to handle someone who's like uncoupling somebody who is, is going through that process. Because if you do sometimes when you're doing just an hour and then you have to wait a week, there's just, there's a bandit that's ripped open and then, mm. and then you got to put it back again and you're constantly in that process. And so you only have like perhaps a half an hour of, of good stuff to work with. So I work with people for five hours at a time. Sometimes it's just one day. Sometimes it's wow. two days. Oh yeah. And it's like roll your sleeves up kind of thing, mm -hmm. but it's beautiful. It's beautiful. It, it's, I'm actually some of the, the, uh, the most pride I have in, in my work too, is helping a couple and in a peaceful way on their own terms mm. um, and still have dignity um, about it and, and, and have love for it. Uh, it's such an odd feeling to like be so intimate with somebody and had share so much of your life. And then like that, you just don't speak or, or you hate each other. And there's some even, and I've done this even with couples where there's an obvious thing that you could be mad at yes. or upset mm -hmm. by that you can find a way around it and find a way through it that helps it not in pos like not in like toxic positivity, but just in finding the truth. It can take a bit, but it, it's there. Um, and then just finding out what are your needs with one another? Mm -hmm. How do you untangle um, the complexity of a relationship that is formed and then um, ended. Yeah, uh, I think it's beautiful work. I, I wish more people did it. And I love working with attorneys that that's their belief system. Right. Because um, sometimes that's part of the problem too. Yeah. I mean, it like, it makes me think of like past relationships that I've had. I've, I've, I have past relationship, past partners that are like some of my best friends. And then I have mm -hmm. past partnerships yes. that are like, I, I hope I never hear mention of that person's name again. You know, like, yeah. mm -hmm. like true disdain. And I so, so wish that even the, 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 you know, the past partnerships that I've had that I do not have an amicable relationship with, I way would, way would rather wish to have that same sensation, that same feeling that I have with my past partners that I actually quite enjoy their company still. Yeah. I'm thinking of like, like Katie, my, my like high school sweetheart, 
she's like one of my best friends and it, and, and we have like a really beautiful relationship and it's, I value that relationship and it's so nice. And when I think of Katie, I think of, I think of her fondly and I think of fond memories. And I, I think about the future of like, you know, her and I creating things together or whatever. It's like, I really, I really love Katie. I still love mm-hmm. Katie very much. And I wish I could say that about. Beep. Yeah. Yeah. All, I mean, all, every, I, wish I, could, I wish I could say that about everybody I know, you know, there's no one that yeah. I, there's no one that I want to hate. There's no one that I want to feel um, disdain towards, you know, and these, and these, and the, the other thing is these people are people that have, have, were like fleeting relationships over, you know, short term kinds of things. We're not talking about like 20 years of life together with children and property and all those things. And so it's just like, man, I, I get it. I get why that happens, but it's, um, to hear that there's people out there doing work to help couples get to a point where they can uncouple after a lifetime of being together with so many things that are that are tying them together even beyond the you know the end of the relationship is really nice because mm-hmm. you know i think we need more, we especially today we need more love um and that's got to be hard work that's got to be you know i can see mm-hmm. that that would be really tough work Sorry, I went on a rant there, Brady. That's you, okay. You it's okay. <laughs> oh, I love it when you want to talk about how much you love Katie. Uh, um, she's pretty cool. Yeah, she she's cool she, she totally is. While yeah. you were talking about uncoupling, um, I was wondering. I was thinking about how I know you also teach like an advanced adult sex education, uh, create you know uh, what's the word I'm looking for curriculum, mm-hmm. um, and I I was wondering if uncoupling was a topic in that like how do we successfully resolve this when it's over when it has Mm -hmm. run its course Mm -hmm. it's not um its own module but it often comes part of it because most people have experienced some kind of relationship that's ended that's completed itself whether it's Mm -hmm. a friendship a family member or romantic or or sexual and doing that in a way that to me the, the what i how that gets infused in it is talking about agency so when I hear a story like you're speaking about, uh, about like there's some people that we still care about and like can, can relate to and others that were like never again, full disdain, usually within that category, somebody who has trenched, like just, just stepped on your agency, who has not treated you with respect and valued you and seen you. And those are the ones that don't get to, to stay in our lives. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we'll talk about how to do that, how to be, how to find those people and, and to cultivate relationships that create that because even and sometimes in agency we have to end relationships that's part of it but doing that in a relational way instead of an entitled way makes it all the difference of what's preserved um, and what energy persists afterwards and that's whether it's sexual platonic um, or familiar in it too mm. um i have two different thoughts that i are different directions do you have are you are you no, on yeah, deck let's, for anything I'll, I'll, let's go on a ride because I, I do want to talk about um, the courses that you offer, like the those modules and, and how all that breaks down. But there was another thing in the bio that um, uh, right after divorce that we also haven't talked about. And I thought it was super interesting. Um, you counsel couples who are facing incarceration. Mm-hmm. And, and what, like what, mm. how do you, what is that? Is that about preparation? Like, okay, here's what that's going to look like. And like, what's the, what is that world? 
Yes. Uh, and that was another like kind of unlikely turn. Uh, and so like you think about somebody who's about to head to federal prison and they pop on and they see these lips on my wallpaper. <laughs> it's it's quite a dichotomy of, of, of feelings <laughs> in it. <laughs> but, you know, whatever. Just, you know, we, we had to tell them to roll with it. What, what I thought, actually, somebody once described me as the queen of reckoning. And, um, and I would say that's probably pretty true that I meet a lot of people in those crossroads in their life. And, it, and it's whether it's in a, a relationship or a sexual assault, or they are going to federal prison, that there is, there is a time where we have to face ourselves. Um, and there's lots of things that force us to get into that facing. And for those who are, that I work with that are, that are going to federal prison, it is, um, at least with the ones that I've been working with, uh, they've gotten away with things in their life and they've made some choices that um, put them more in the pathway of entitlement uh, rather than empowerment or an agency. And when that no longer works for you and you're caught, um, then most are forced into that place of reckoning uh, with themselves. And it's it's been actually uh, challenging work. It's so such a privilege to sit with somebody who they have no choice but to do that. So a lot of it's the internal work of what have I done, mm. and I can't undo this. Um, and so and I'm now being forced to face the consequences of this. So I've worked with politicians and and various. It's mainly white collar that I'm working with crimes um, and financial crimes, and so they are uh, considering losing their reputation. Uh, their finances, their family, mm. um, their companies, and so everything's falling apart. Um, and and what? How do you how do you stay alive in that process? And there are a lot of people who who don't know how to to do that. So my work is to to help them still find purpose and to to find that place of accountability. And then it's to help the family. So mm. it's helping spouses. It's helping children. Um, probably one of the most heart-wrenching ones that, that I, I did fairly recently was um, saying goodbye to to young kids for a couple of years. And how do you how do you help them? And how do you face mm-hmm. that? And how do you drive away? And, um, and what is the what do they need uh, versus what you need? Um, it's it is a um, it is certainly an awakening if you ever want to commit a crime. <laughs> I've yeah. seen all that. We is like, oh man, the consequences um, are, are not like on Law and Order. Turn Me On Podcast will be back after this short break. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hold up. What was that? 
boring, no flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Yeah, I, I, that makes me wonder, because I, I know you've also worked on consent, the topic of consent with uh, guys in fraternities and whatnot. Like, does your work ever taken you in the direction of like counseling? And if you, you, you worked with with female offend, uh, sex, mm-hmm. sex offenders. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you have done that work. And is yes. it, would mm-hmm. you say those things are similar when you're talking about like, I did something that I can't take back? Is Is that process kind of? Yeah, are they are they similar at all? They are, yes. And again, like without kind of saying saying the same thing over again, agency is just so much of the work that I do, the concept of it, and so I see everything through the lens of that also. And helping somebody be accountable is a process of agency too. That that you can make a mistake, you can harm somebody else, and still find places that that are that you can grow, and that it's not the end of things for you. And how how do you find accountability without creating other harm to those who you have harmed. Um, and what do you do with that process when you can't ask forgiveness, when you can't make any kind of reparations with somebody, how, how do you still do that within yourself? Uh, that's a really complicated task. Um, within like the, the, the work that I do, the, the course that, that you've talked about is called Revealed. And um, I've been doing it for 20 years. It's um, in 11 countries right now. And it's just really exciting to see the growth of it. But infused throughout all of that is you first look at you. You look at, you, you answer all these questions within these 10 pillars of holistic sexuality. And then we look at what you do to others. And those are some of the most powerful scripts. And it starts off like one of, one of my favorite questions to ask people is, and I'll, I'll ask you all this. Can you think right now, and this is, this is, I'm taking it for something really deep to a little bit high, you know, a little more lighter. Um, can you think of the worst kiss you've ever experienced? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. So you, you, most of us have pretty quick. That was fun. I was surprised actually how immediate that was. It was like a yeah. wet, like a wet blanket got thrown on a very hot moment. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yes. Yeah. So how, how, what is your view of that? Like that? What meaning do you make of that experience? What made me what? What meaning would you make of that experience? Well, I could make a lot of meaning to that experience because I shouldn't have been there in the first place. I shouldn't have been kissing that guy in the first place. I had, like, it was not a very responsible thing to do. So it was highly disappointing when it was not worth it at all. Um, that's, I guess the meaning that I make of it on the spot. It's a b- big judgment on myself actually. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you want to tell yours? I mean, yeah, I don't like, I, I, I don't know if I quite understand like the question, like what meaning do I make of like the, the worst kiss I've <laughs> ever yeah. had in my life? But What's I guess I, I, my takeaway is that, um, is that <laughs> this might make me sound like a complete asshole, but um, no matter how attractive I might be to someone, as soon as that kiss is bad, all of those, all that feeling of lust, all that feeling of curiosity, all that feeling of like deep desire is fucking gone. It just, yeah. dis, it's like into a vacuum in space. It's just sucked up and gone. <laughs> 
Uh, that's that's what I made of it. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And both of those are so common to have those yeah. kind of reactions to it. And so it's interesting. So you, you go first on like, like what was your experience and what meaning did you make of that? Uh, and don't judge. Like you said, like you, like you don't want to judge the meaning that you make of it. It just is what it is. Yeah. And then uh, so who do you think could sit on the couch next to you all and answer that you're the worst kiss they ever had? Oh, there's definitely someone there's got, I mean, there's gotta be, there's gotta be someone who just like, didn't like, that was the other thing I made of it was that everyone likes to be kissed in a very certain way. Like everybody has their own way. They like to be kissed. And so when you find someone where your two kisses mesh, Hey, that's great. That's like magic. really fun. Yeah. Magic. So that person that sucked kiss that, that gave that bad kiss. It's not that they sucked at kissing. It's that our kisses were not compatible. I'm a really good kisser, so I don't know what you're talking well, about. Well, see, I, I also feel the same way. I feel really good about my kissing, too. But I but I bet you that that person that I said gave a really shitty kiss, I bet you they were like, man, Jeremy right. is a bad fucking kisser. Yeah. Because our kisses didn't match. Yeah. You know? I, I mean, that's the way that I that I typically think There's about no it. one on the couch right now for me. It's just a shadow with no face. I'm like, no, I yeah, can't yeah, think of right. anybody. Oh, that's so funny. Which, which is also very common. Yeah. It's kind of like, like intelligently, we we know that probably yeah. someone thinks that and all of that, but like, but who? You know, and, yeah, and, it's, yeah. and it's not that we often give that feedback either to each other. So mm -hmm. that's just one example of how, like, we look at ourselves and then we turn it around to like uh, our experience of how are we showing up for other people, and then we go into deeper layers in this process too. And it, and it's so one of the pillars is sexualization and kind of going back to like the record and taking charge of ourselves is like when we're looking at the issues of consent when we're looking at coercion uh, everyone every person has coerced somebody in some way it may not be within a sexual context but we've done it we know how to like oh come on like don't you want to like come on like come out with us tonight like that's coercion um, mm -hmm. on some level and uh and so it's actually like a really powerful moment when you can take down your guard of, of doing something quote wrong and you can own it and you can say it. And when you can do it in places, like, like I was a bad kisser to somebody, I'm sure. And it's not necessarily like a wrong thing, but when we can own that, we aren't perfect in it. Then yeah. we can go to those places of accountability that are bigger and where there's more stakes. And mm. that's really important. And we're not really taught that. And we're not given a lot of spaces to show up and be wrong or to own our shit and, and to have other people owning their shit next to, next to you in it. Uh, there's some like in the recovery world that allows for that. And, and there's such growth in those experiences, but not outside of that. Um, and so that's one of the things I like, created with Revealed is that when you do it in a group, that we're all risk taking and being vulnerable and we're all being accountable and growing in that. And, and that's also being accountable to like the good stuff. There's not a lot of places where we can celebrate great sex. Um, or to say like I had this, or, or I like gave the best blowjob last night. Like I want to talk about it. Like that's right, like, right. not a lot of space for that. You should have seen the shit I did. There, there's not lots of places to be celebrated and to be supported and, and either the, the wonderful parts of our sexual selves um, and the harder parts that, um, that we may have shame um, or guilt over. You've mentioned agency several times in this conversation, and I was just wondering because because Jeremy and I are both really big word people. We and 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 I think I heard you mention it specifically as a as like a the other side the other side of that would be entitlement. You've you mentioned that word a couple of times. Can you explain those words in the relationship? Yes. Yeah. So later, so I actually just did a TED talk this weekend about it. So I'll no I'll Ooh. forward it on when it finally gets edited. Um, but. 
agency, in my view, is like self-determination, it's decision-making, and it's choice. And uh, I started looking at it when I was asking people about their sexual stories. And I was so curious that I'd have, I'd have people tell a very similar story and experience. And one would say, like, almost like a, a like kind of a snap and clear, like, well, that was bad. And oh, well, like kind of moving on. And then someone else with a very similar experience would be devastated and traumatized by it. And I wanted to know why. And it took, it took a lot of years and a, a thousands of hours of asking people these questions. When I finally came to the realization that it was if somebody felt like they had a decision, a choice that they made with purpose and intention, it kind of didn't matter how it turned out. That even if it went to shit, when they could go back to the moment of when they decided it, they were okay with it. Okay enough and resilient in that in some ways. And when you don't feel like that, um, when you don't either, when you, like you kind of just let indecision be the decision or you did a decision by committee or you didn't even know that it was happening. And, and I heard that a lot, like, I, like, where was I in this? Or it just happened to me. Um, and I'm not just talking about violence. I'm talking about things well beyond that too. And even outside of sexual context, I, I wanted to know what that was and I couldn't find the word for it. Um, and so one day when I was pursuing this for my own self too, like I often, the academic becomes personal and the personal becomes academic, the word popped out agency and I wanted to know more about it. And, and they, there wasn't a great definition. So I made my own and it's, uh, it's really making decisions, um, with purpose and intention and knowing there's a decision to be made, actively making the decision, living with the consequences intended and unintended of those consequences, and then making meaning of it that supports who you are and re- supports resiliency and protection. Oh, that sounds great. Mm-hmm. Um, I We had a conversation with uh, another therapist a couple of days ago, Dr. Tom, and he was saying, we were talking about um, boundaries and he was saying, he was talking about how I loved this. He said, resentment is a really beautiful emotion. He, from his perspective, he was saying that oftentimes the resentment that we feel and we think is directed towards others is really self-directed for allowing our boundaries to be crossed. Yeah. And that kind of came to mind while you were talking about, you know, those, those moments where maybe you're not used to seeing the opportunity to speak what you want or to even have a chance to reflect reflect and communicate what you want. And then that boundary gets crossed or you feel like you've gotten swept along with the tides and now that moment is behind you and you wish it had gone differently. Mm. And it feels like resentment for the person who made you do that thing. And, and it's such a tricky, who is acting in entitlement there? Is that a part of it? Yeah, that's great. It's a great question. And that's, it's beautiful the way that he's describing that too. Um, it, you know, so I, I want to backtrack a little bit off that question to, to, and I'd be curious what you all think of this. So another thing that I kind of discover or, or that I believe is that we have a pathway to agency and it begins with boundaries. Uh, and the first boundary that you have, and I'm, not, I'm curious if you spoke about this too, the first boundaries that we have with other people. So when we're first learning that we have a voice and that it matters, um, that we, we say our voice, we like, so you can't talk to me like that ever again. That's you can't do that. That's my boundary to you. Mm. So that's kind of the first stop on the train to agency. Then the second one is a second kind of boundary with is the boundaries you have with yourself. 
And that I think is kind of like where he was bouncing back and forth with that topic of resentment. Mm -hmm. So I'm not going to stay with somebody who speaks to me like that is the second boundary Mm -hmm. um, that, that we move into. And then when you have that experience and it feels really great that it's working when you're, when you're filling with boundaries and you have relationships that support those kind of boundaries and don't, don't test them a lot. Uh, then you start like, oh, my voice matters, and my, you know, it feels good to have yeses and nos and yucks and yums and all of that. So we ride that train for a while, and then we come to like we have two stops. We can go to entitlement, like fuck yeah, like that's right, that this is what I deserve. I this is exactly it, and I'm in a bubble, and that's all that matters. Or empowerment, they're they're similar, but obviously very mm. different. And we don't want to go on the entitlement train, but sometimes it happens. Um, but we want to go in the empower. We want to go more in the empowerment part of it. And empowerment is like, oh, it's it's just so gratifying to find your place that really matters, to really exercise your voice and things. But what I found is, empowerment isn't the goal because empowerment's individual, and and that's where we have a lot of problems with our relationships that are empowered, our communities, even our social justice movements. We have to become a place in agency because empowerment's individual, agency's relational. And that makes the big difference of, of learning that how you make decisions affect other people, that everything's not done in a vacuum and in a bubble, that we have ripple effects and we're mm. not taught how to be an agency. Um, and I think that's a big mistake. And I'm trying to trying to teach people uh, about going to the next stop on the train mm. uh, and not just stopping there in empowerment. As someone who's worked with little kids then and like enjoys little kids, do you think that like, that is something that we can instill in kids in their, in childhood. Mm. Um, yes. Yeah. Yeah. I get, I, and I have lots of parents that ask me that too. Um, and, and I am a parent myself and, you know, it's sometimes it's a little, be careful what you wish for. Kind of thing. Like I've, I've grown little agency babies and, <laughs> you know, but then when I'm feeling it's like empowerment, I actually had this fascinating conversation with my daughter last night. She's nine and we were talking about no's and she gave me this really clear no on something. And then kind of looked at me like a, a little sassy, which was, was pretty kind of cute and funny. And, and, uh, and she's like, cause you know, my nose mean no. And I was like, oh, that's, you know, my poor children had just been you know, exposed, <laughs> like all oh, this speak everywhere. <laughs> and, uh, and, and I was like, yes, but you know, sometimes, sometimes uh, when I say no to something um, or I need you to do something that's going to supersede. And I sat, and I sat back, I was like, Ooh, what am I saying in this like power di- differential? And like, how do I exert myself? Like, but sometimes my no is more than your no. And in the back of my head, I was like, what, have, you know, what, how is she going to translate this in a nine-year-old mind in another situation with somebody that doesn't have her best interest at heart? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think that gets pretty tricky too in it, but we have to give those places we have to find places, um, and this is, I think, the, the there's trickiness always in, in parenting or working with anyone that's younger than you, um, but two things I have found to be pretty potent when you're trying to build people in agency. One is that you do give them decisions. You, you let them have choices, and you don't micromanage everything. You don't control everything, and you let it, you let them have consequences. You let things go wrong. You can, even if you can foresee their decision, it's going to take them this way. You let some of those things happen when the stakes aren't so high. And then you support them. You don't rescue them. You support them as they are problem solving for themselves so that they can start having resources. And then you say things like, I trust your judgment and I trust you, or I want to sit with you. Mm. Let me, let me support you. What are your options? And you, you help them practice 
and you keep infusing in them that they have, they have it within them to make good decisions. Um, and those two things are really powerful. I can only imagine what it would be like as a kid to hear a, an adult Mm. say i trust your judgment i think Mm -hmm. that would be Mm -hmm. like i was wondering kind of what the alternative to letting them have those moments where they make mistakes on on in a low stakes setting and and what happens if you don't let them have that and 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 then does that does that foster a feeling of like well i know that that has this consequence because i've been told that yeah but then are you, do you ever really feel free to make a choice or is it always like, well, I don't know if that's safe or not. Like nobody told me if that was safe or not. You know, Mm -hmm. is it, it seems like it might generate some fearfulness about the world. Totally. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so a lot of times in my work, I'll see people that are dealing with those consequences, the unintended consequences that, that you don't foresee in your, in your, in your life, because we all made decisions that have gone awry and they were pretty good decisions, but you just can't see everything. So for me, like, cause I also have a 20 year, I'm too, I'm a big age span between my kiddos. And uh, so I've seen, I've, I've grown a kid and, uh, and seen that. And there's certainly times that I'm like, that is the worst choice to make. Mm-hmm. Like, what mm-hmm. are you thinking? And, and sometimes I've stepped in if it was, you know, the stakes were too high for that. And other times I've stepped back and I, I wanted him to feel like, yes, this is life and you can figure this out. We all had this happen. If you teach your kids and you live a life that good things happen to good people, and that's how the way things work, then you are setting it up for when things don't go well, that you're that they make meaning that they're bad uh, or, they, or they become afraid to have agency in their life. And what we need is we need people making decisions aligned with their purpose and intention. We need authentic people living authentic lives and those differences and nuances if people are performing, if people are are not living their truth and, and safe enough to make decisions like that, then then we see lots of problems um, that come to bear uh, in relationships and society and legislation. So we have to do that. And it starts back with those places of like, yeah, take some risks and like get some dirt in your knee with it. And again, like I, I I, there's differences. There's certainly times that I, that my son would tell you that I took away his agency and Lord, did I have to hear about it? And I don't necessarily regret it. There are also times that I chose to take away some of his choices that I'm not sure I should have done that. Um, and I wish I'd let a little bit more happen. Um, and then stood by him and helped him figure it out and not done it for him. I wish I had done that. And I'm, and there's times that I'm really glad that I stepped back and supported him and his decisions. And there's other times, even still now, like, Okay, <laughs> you know, like we're we're doing this ride, but but same with me. You can look at my life and think, "Wow, really? She's an expert on agency." <laughs> you would you wouldn't know it from that resume. <laughs> I can't be hypocritical in that too. Yeah. But I had a hard fought uh, journey to get to agency too, and and I certainly like the way that my parents loved and they loved me deeply, but they loved by control, uh, mm. and they couldn't really help that. They were what they saw. Sorry, I think you called it out. What they saw was the worst of everything in an ER. Um, so they wanted to love me by preventing all of that. And that produced somebody, um, uh, me and my sister, that we weren't really confident in our decisions. And we made some poor ones because of it, um, like we all have. I mean, you know, like I haven't lived this dialect life, but I've certainly made mistakes I wish I could change in that process. And I, don't, and I wanted to live a life that I didn't have such regret and remorse hold me back mm. from making better ones moving ahead. 
Would you say having children um, added some motivation to your your journey of uh, in this into agency? It, I mean, yes, but I, I was already in it myself. I think it was more having my kids see mistakes or having to live out the ripple effects of the decisions that I was making that did it too. Um, that's probably where where it where we intersected with each other of like oh I've really got to get this right mm. have to have to experience that I've got to get this right they're watching me um, and there are there are things that my decisions are are going to close doors and change experiences for them that I don't want to so yes yeah wow. yeah mm. wow I think I I I mean kids aren't in my in my future right now but I think if I ever did have kids. My number one fear, which is, um, is that they're a bad kisser. No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I was gonna say my number one fear right now is like is probably like getting eaten by a bear. Like that's pretty high up there. Um, You're you getting eaten by a bear? Oh yeah, kid? Would, uh, yeah. Just like oh, that's terrified your of that. Fear, that would just be so scary. Okay. Um, but my having a kid. My number one fear would no, that would be my, the bear thing would probably be my number two fear. And my number one fear would be, I'm just innately going to fuck this kid up even by trying my hardest. Yeah. And like, and you know, it's like, it, it, it's almost inevitable. You're just, you're not going to get it right. You're going to like, you're going to make mistakes. I mean, I do it with my nephews today. Like I, you know, the whole story about telling my nephew that his boogers, if he eats them, They'll eat, they'll, they will eat him from the inside out. I thought I was doing a good thing. And then I tell this to, you know, fucking Gabor Mate. And he's like, dude, what are you doing? You can't tell, you can't fucking tell your kids that. And I was like, oh, I, you know, I thought it was like a fun prank. I thought it was funny. Yeah. So, you know, yeah, it's to, to people who, you know, who have, I look at my friend Taylor who has a kid now and it's like, man, wow, what a, what a daunting thing. What a daunting thing mm-hmm. to, you know, you can try your hardest, you can try your hardest, but. You know, again, like your parents, they were, they were, they were doing the best they could. Mm-hmm. Yep. And, um, yet that the way that, that their worldview, the way they saw the world and thinking that they're, in, you know, imparting this onto you because it's going to make you have an easier life ends up showing you, you know, later in your life that, ah, oh, fuck, you know, it probably, it probably would have been more beneficial for me to have parents that maybe, gave me a little bit more agency as opposed mm-hmm. to the opposite. Mm-hmm. You know? So same. Yeah. It's a, it's a kids are a scary thing. Every time, every time a new friend has a kid, I'm like, so elated, but also like, Oh man, please don't, please don't <laughs> fuck this up. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Well, you, you never know what kind of kid you're going to get. No matter yeah. how you become a parent too. There's not this just wonderful picking. It's not like dating. Right. It's just a, it's a blind date and you're stuck with it for the rest of your life. And think about it. That's what you had to date and had like, that's that, you know, that's, that's a tough process. Yeah. And oftentimes you, you end up getting the kind of kid you need, even if it's not necessarily <laughs> what you thought you were, what you wanted. And yeah. they bring out their, their beautiful reflections of the good and the heart in you. I get mm. that. I get that fear a lot too. Well, Dr. Juliana, this has been uh, so fun. It's been it, like a, just truly a really delightful conversation. Mm-hmm. So fascinating to hear, um, you know, your broad scope of work and and all the different sort of channels that you are, you know, um, that you're sending your energy. Um, we're 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 big fans. This is it's really cool. How can people people oh, you know you. who who want to follow along with the stuff that you do? Maybe they're interested in 
in uh, you know some of the courses that you offer. Where can people find Dr. Juliana? Oh, thank you so much. I've so loved meeting you all and this conversation too. Um, so on all social media handles, I'm Dr. Juliana Hauser. And, um, and then on my website, you can go and get my newsletter. I do a lot of uh, just private stuff in my newsletter that I don't put anywhere else, anywhere else on social media. Uh, and then, um, yeah, I'm just kind of all over uh, lots of podcasts. You can just search for my name on podcasts too. And, um, and, and the media too. I, I really love interacting uh, with people. And so I answer my own messages. Um, mm. uh, and I really like, um, like finding out what, what questions people have from what I'm saying and, um, and finding out what, what people need. It's, I really love my work and, um, I love sharing what I've learned along the way. Cool. I think you're going to get a private message that just says, what's the deal with discharge? <laughs> <laughs> I hope so. I would like to find out. <laughs> My life's work. <laughs> thank you so oh, much. Thank you. This has been a real treat. Thank you so much. All right. There we have it, folks. Hope you enjoyed that conversation that we just had. And uh, thanks for listening to the podcast. If you want to support the podcast further, you can do that by leaving a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts, or you can simply rate the podcast on the Spotify mobile app. And uh, if you want to uh, support the podcast even further than that, which you can. Wow. You can You're go to so kind and thoughtful and so generous. Thoughtful, so generous. Go to patreon.com slash turn me on. Uh, to become a patron and help us uh, keep this podcast afloat. Well, if you want to reach out to us, turnmeonpodcast at gmail.com is always open for all of your messages. That's the best way to get in touch. If you have a question for us, if you'd like to be a guest on the show, if you have a recommendation for a guest on the show, or if you just want to send us a little love note, uh, email money transfer, uh, all of that. Sex toy. <laughs> you know, we're, we're our email inbox is open to you. That is it for this week. Until next week. Why don't you go touch yourself? Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. 
Let's get this dinner party started. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 